Thanks, Bill. Um, make sure this is recording. We're good. Thanks, Bill and Kathy, Matt and Laura, for letting me be a part of this. Thanks to the mentor couples who are working each of these tables. And I know y'all are thankful for them as well. And I really appreciate all of you being part of this and trusting us as you're heading into new relationships. <clears throat> or maybe relationships have been going on for a while and you want to strengthen those relationships. It's a really critical time. <clears throat> Sorry, so thanks for for trusting us in that and letting me be a part of it. I'm not an expert in marriage, as Lindsay would tell you, and um, <clears throat> I'll share some of those blunders tonight. We've been married going on a decade. We've been together for about 15 years, and I mean, many of those conversations felt really familiar. I cannot fold a towel for the life of me, according to Lindsay. And, um, and so many other, other things, right, that have come up in those 15 years. I am not an expert. I do deal with a lot of couples in crisis, I guess I'm kind of like a front line of defense sometimes, and then I, I often punt them on to Bill or Kevin or somebody else who really knows what they're doing. But I'm going to try to talk today about conflict. So I, I was just in a, I just had a marker on me. I think, let's see if this one's got juice in it. Okay, this worked. I was just in a session where somebody said something really great. You got another one for me? Thanks so much. So, um, <clears throat> so they drew these two, these two, two circles. I said this small one is your comfort zone, and this big one, it was actually much bigger. Let's make that even bigger. I said this, have you seen this, is where the magic happens, right, outside your comfort zone. And I think when, we, when it comes to talking about conflict, that's what we're dealing with. Um, it, it'll be really easy particularly when we get to the conversational part of this when you're talking at your groups, to kind of stick in here and we just love each other, we just look longingly into each other's eyes and we never have any problems. That seems to solve it all. And to stay in your comfort zone, what, I guess what I would tell you is if, <clears throat> if that's where you stay, eventually something will come along outside your comfort zone that will derail you. And so it really, when it comes to your formation as a couple, you really need to spend some time out here outside your comfort zone as it relates to conflict, and this is really where the magic happens. Other things that are outside your comfort zone that we're going to talk about, not tonight and other times, are things like sex, right? I'm not talking about that. Somebody else is. So uh, <clears throat> we're not go there. Let's talk about conflict, which is, I think, something that's outside our comfort zone. Here's the deal. Nobody likes conflict, but you are going to have conflict in your relationship, in your marriage, without a doubt. Why is that? Okay, Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, here's the takeaway from that. If you had married God, you would be good, right? Oh, good man, good man. Why? Because God is glorious, which means he's without sin. He's perfect. That's why Paul says it's better to be single, okay? But it's too late for you all, like you're together, right? <clears throat> Most of you, I guess, not too late for some. I'm not trying to break you up. He says it's better to be single, and that's why, because God's the perfect spouse, but you married somebody or are getting married to somebody who is a sinner, which means they're not going to be perfect. And that conflict's going to arise because you didn't marry God. You, you married a sinner. <clears throat> Lindsay and I have had conflicts before I asked her if I could share these stories. <clears throat> so we have storm windows on the outside of our house, and storm windows have a, a glass panel and then a screen. And so... When we moved into our house, there was a couple of those screens that looked like a cat or something at some point had, like, clawed it, and they're just a little kind of disheveled on the screen. And, and that bothered Lindsay for seven years. Okay. <laughs> a small amount of time. And uh, 
<clears throat> and so she wanted to clean those storm windows. Really, she wanted me to clean those storm windows, but I had to put it off for seven years. And so she went out there and to get to the window pane, you need to get that screen out and she couldn't figure out how to get it out. I was at work. So she worked on it for, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give her a generous like three to four minutes. And then she got a box knife out and just cut the screens out, right? <clears throat> and so I came home. <laughs> Turns out it's really easy to slide those out with the right pressure <clears throat> in the right place. And uh, so I, was, I wasn't satisfied with how that had, had panned out. So we had some friends come to town a few weeks ago, and she really wanted to clean the inside of the windows, the, the, a couple of the other windows, that, not, the ones, not the worst offenders. And so she said, I want you to go ahead and take the screens out of those two. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that today. We don't have time to do that. And you know what she does? She goes and she gets a box knife. <laughs> and I, I think she was threatening to cut the, the blinds or the, the screen out, but she may have been threatening to stab me. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. But so I, you know, I removed those storm window, those storm window things pretty easily. Um, I can remember this, uh, this example. So Lindsay, she had had a long day and keeping three kids. In addition, she did like 10 loads of laundry. We've got three boys, we've got so much laundry. I produce a lot of laundry. And um, I came home and everybody's laundry had been put away, but my laundry was on my bed. Folded nicely, but on my bed. And you know what I should have said? <laughs> You fill in the blank, you know. <laughs> That's not what I said, right? And I, yeah, so I, I put away all my laundry now. That's our, our policy after that conflict. Or let me tell you about this. this time. So that was me. That was on me. Lindsay's, um, you know, we're going to talk about things that might cause conflict. And so I'm a, a, a tightwad when it comes to, to money. Lindsay, not so much so. And that's the reason my kids have clothes is because Lindsay. Because if it was up to me, they'd be fine in their undies. You know, like just send them out into the world, they'd be fine. And, uh, and so she's, she orders things, you know, from Amazon or Target or whatever. And, and, uh, and then she'll wear that thing or, or the boys will wear that thing. And I'll say, well, you know, when would you get this? You know, you know what, she, what her response is? It's three words, ladies, this is all you need to know. I've had this. But it's the dot, dot, dot. Like, how long? Like, it came, in the, it came in the mail an hour ago, right? But I've had, I've had this. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Uh, all right. So there's a lot of things uh, that we might have conflicts about. I asked her if I could share those, and she gave me permission to, to share all those. So as you're thinking about conflict, what do you think are the major sources of conflict in a marriage or in a relationship? Just throw them out to me. Yeah, money. What else? Yes, in-laws, or we'll, we'll say family. Everybody's got a complicated family. Member situation, everybody's got it. Children. children, yep. How you'll raise those children, yeah. Time. Expectations. What else? Addiction. Yeah, that's a good one. Getting deep. Communication. Communication. Yeah. What else? I think those. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Upbringing. Yep. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I put, um, I mean, this, this relates to time. I put hobbies on there. I think, did y'all talk about that last time? Did that come up last time? Okay, maybe that's a future time. Uh, anything else? Yeah, needs, there you go. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, temperature in the house. <laughs> right? How many covers to have on the bed? Uh, how many pillows? <laughs> or pillows in the house? We have 36 pillows in our house right now. 36 pillows in closets. You know, you open doors, pillows fall out on you in our house. <clears throat> All right. Okay, so the big question is why, why do we fight? Okay. So if you look in your book, so you've got a book right there. I love what James says about why we fight. I don't know that I love it, but it's, it's really insightful. This is in James 4, 1 to 2. I think this is in the top of your, your workbook, James 4, 1 to 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So he's going to answer the question directly. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You're, you desire but do not have, and so you kill. You covet but you can't get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Okay, so the Bible makes it really clear, James makes it really clear right here, that we fight because we don't get what we want. Okay. We fight because we don't get what we want. What do we call that? Selfishness. Yeah, selfishness. <clears throat> uh, I often say when I'm talking to folks who are getting married that marriage is an opportunity to find out how selfish you are, right? A relationship is an opportunity to find out how selfish you are. And then you have kids and you find out you're still selfish and you thought you'd, you'd gotten over it. You know, with a spouse, your spouse might compromise with you, but your kid doesn't care about compromise, uh, and so I, I think as you continue to grow in a relationship, that naturally what it does is it presents you these opportunities to encounter and deal with or not deal with your own selfishness. Um, Jesus says this, you know, the Pharisees are kind of like this um, notorious enemy in um, Scripture of Jesus. And, uh, and they're, they're actually not terrible people. They're religious people, so they're a lot like, I mean, you all and me. And they're just trying to be obedient to the Bible. But he says this about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 25, and 26. He says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So you clean the outside of the cup, but inside it's full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. I told this story a couple of years ago. Most of you probably don't remember it, but I'll tell it again. Um, so if there's one smell that's common in the house of a family with little kids, now there's a lot of smells in a house like that. We, we're a family of uh, little boys and larger boys, and so the one common smell in ours is pee that has missed the toilet. Like, that's super common in our house. Amen? Recently, my three-year-old peed in the trash can like six or seven times, and uh, <clears throat> like that much pee in the tray. And so, uh, but another, I think a, a really common smell that's in the house of all, all families with young kids is spoiled milk. So like the kind that's been in a bottle that's lost under the couch, or maybe that's in like the seat cushion in the back of the car, 
it's getting really ripe. And when you, you open up the top of the bottle to pour it out, it doesn't come out. It just like stays up there and then it kind of like spills out like a glacier, kind of moving down and it plops down the sink and it just grabs hold of your nose and you can't let go. <clears throat> so I've got my, one of my jobs in our family is dishes. And so I've got this tactic with, when it comes to those bottles of spoiled milk that I like to let the bottles collect by the side of the sink for like three or four days. And then I just clean them all at one time. So I only have to deal with that smell just, just once. So one night, this is with Foster, who's now three. We were putting him down for bed. Lindsay's putting him down. She says, Eric, will you make me a bottle? And I'm, I said, sure. And he likes his bottles warm, you know, because that's how you like your bottles. And so I go and I, I fill him up a bottle and I put it in the microwave and I heat it up for 40 seconds. That's what he likes. And then I, I get a cap, uh, a bottle top, and I, I put it on the bottle and I take it back to Lindsay, but he won't drink it. And Lindsay, she, she's holding that bottle, and she's like, this doesn't feel like you, you warmed this bottle up. And so I was like, I could have sworn I, I warmed that bottle up. And so I, I take it back into the, to the kitchen, and I, I warm the bottle up, and this time he drinks it just fine. We put him down, he goes to sleep, and then Lindsay and I walk into the kitchen, and there's this warm bottle of milk in the kitchen, and we just can't figure out what kind of sorcery this is. And so it turns out, because our microwave is right by the sink that's lined with the rotten bottles of milk, that I had filled him up a bottle, right, warmed it up, and then in my distraction grabbed an old bottle and taken it to him. Of course, he didn't like it because it was old and spoiled until I heated it up. And then he didn't mind. <laughs> right until 1 a.m. when he was vomiting all over his career. He survived. He survived. Chill out. <laughs> He's fine. Okay. Uh, here, here's what Jesus is talking about. So we have these things that happen on the outside of the cup, so things like conflict. And really what those are all pointing to is something that's going on on the inside of us. And that what we tend to do is clean. We, like, we buff the outside of that cup really good, and inside it's still full of junk. And I think that marriage is an opportunity to examine what's going on inside of you. Really, you know, what is selfishness doing inside of me? What kind of work is it doing inside of me? I think God uses our marriages to teach us about ourselves to make us self-reflective. I think conflict is a really good example of that. Laura, remind me what time I'm, I'm done. I meant to start my timer and I forgot. 25, great. So that would put us at what? 6.50, great, great. Okay, so um, for example, with me, uh, one of the ways that I encountered this when we got married was that when I was younger, I was really into rock climbing. And we moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and there's not a lot of rocks around here. This is the Delta, right? <clears throat> Closest rocks are two hours away, and those are pretty crappy rocks. You, you really got to go three to five hours away. And so that was fine. It was just Lindsay and I, and we would take off on the weekend, and we would go camp out in Chattanooga or something and climb. And then we had kids, and that, that got harder to do. And so for me to continue my hobby, and this was before there was a climbing gym, literally a minute and a half from my house, right? Okay. But for me to continue that hobby, I was going to have to be gone from my kids for a whole day and a half, two days. That meant Lindsay was going to have to be with the kids for a day and a half or two days. And she was a great sport, and sometimes she would encourage me to do that. But I can remember very vividly a conversation where I sit down with Bill after a conflict about my desire, this compulsive desire. I felt like I needed to get away and climb. It made me a better husband, a better man because I was outside, even though it was causing you know, a significant amount of work to Lindsay. And Bill said, Eric, I used to be a fisherman. Right, right. You, you hear what he was saying? Like, okay, there, that may be something you need to give up for the sake of your marriage. Because where's that coming from? It's coming from selfishness. 
okay? And we veil our selfishness in like good intentions. This is what I need to be me, right? But we overlook other people's needs and their part in our relationship. So when two selfish people live in close proximity to each other, they're bound to have conflict. Uh, here's a few important reminders, a few important bullet points. I think these are in your, your uh, journal. Conflict does not have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing, and I'll explain that. Conflict does not have to be a bad thing. Conflict always reveals something about our marriage that needs work. I would say it it often reveals something about me that needs work, but I'm a part of our marriage. I'm a part of it. Conflict always presents you with an opportunity to grow together. And conflict can become the friction that gives you traction in your marriage. That's pretty good, aren't they? Conflict can become the friction that gives you traction in marriage. Um, have you, have you ever gone mudding? Anybody ever gone mudding in a four-wheel drive vehicle? Something I used to do in high school. I thought it was super cool. And I'd go mudding on Friday or Saturday, and I'd make sure to leave it on my car till Sunday because my ex-girlfriend was at church, and I wanted her to see I was living life. <laughs> right. Uh, so if you've ever been muddy, I think this metaphor is really good for when it comes to conflict. <clears throat> you know, a bunch of guys and gals go out in the middle of this field. It's rained, and they, they spin around until somebody gets stuck, inevitably. And then what happens? Well, you're like, well, we didn't prepare for this at all. We didn't see this coming. And, uh, and so somebody, like, gets out behind the the truck and it's spinning its wheels and they push on it and they fall in face first and they get muddy too. Three or four guys get back there and start pushing on it. And same, that, it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. And finally somebody figures out like we need to put something under this wheel, right? It's just going to keep spinning deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think that's a lot of times what happens in our conflict. We just keep spinning deeper. What we need to do is stop in the moment of our spinning, our conflict, and, and apply some traction. We need, to, we need to stuff something under that wheel so that we can continue to move forward, hopefully get out of that muddy field. Let me also say this, so th- these are, the, the juxtaposition of these two, in, you know, examples is not good, but I'll just use it. We're going to go from mudding to Martin Luther King Jr. See, right, not, not obvious segue. Uh, one of the things that's haunted me that Martin Luther King Jr. said, that, that has haunt, haunts me in many areas of my life, but certainly when it comes to conflict, it was what he described, he called the myth of time. Does anybody remember King talking about this? And so the myth of time is that given enough time, everything gets better. He said this, it's, it's the strangely irrational notion, this is in letter from Birmingham jail, it's the strangely irrational notion that there's something in the very flow of time that will inevitably cure all ills. Actually, time is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. So it's really, it's what you make of time. So if the wheels just keep spinning over time, they're just going to keep spinning. That's all that's, all that's going to happen. Like what you have to do is apply traction to stop the spinning and take advantage of time for the sake of your relationship. I mean, so, so many of you who've been in relationships for a long time can vouch for that, that we left things untreated over time. And voila, they didn't get better. They didn't get better. So you got to treat them. Okay, so looking, there's a diagram in your book, uh, piece of artwork there, diagram, <clears throat> and we're going to talk about what happens when we get in a conflict. 
we're going to look under the hood to use our, our mudding metaphor here to see what's going on in marital conflict. So you've got a husband and wife uh, who run into a conflict. Okay, or maybe this is a dating couple who run into a conflict. Let me, let me erase this. So. And <clears throat> so, I don't, you know, let's say it's, it's money that is the presenting issue of the conflict. And so somebody spent more than they were supposed to spend or they bought something they were, you know, they hadn't agreed upon, what, you know, whatever. Okay. So there's some kind of conflict, and we're going to say it was caused by money in this case. And so, let's, okay, we've got our people here. Pretty good. Uh, I, you know, I teach in this prison Bible class on Wednesdays, and like the running joke is the terrible artist I am. And just like, you know, you would think guys in jail would be a little more compassionate, right? <laughs> no. Okay, so, okay, you've got this guy and this girl who they run into this, this marital conflict. And what happens in the, in the midst of this marital conflict about money is that words begin to fly that are suddenly not just about money, but they're about character. They're about who the person is. Right? It's not just what they've done, but it's about who they are. And so, as you see here described in your, um, your diagram here, that, so he's, he's saying some words this way, and so she feels what? What does she feel? Unloved. Read them out to me. I don't remember them all. Unloved, disrespected, unwanted. What else? Alone. Okay. So notice none of those are about money, right? They're about her identity, about who she is. So what he has said has shifted from how she's using finances to the kind of person she is. So if, if, you're, if you use finances this way, then it says this about who you are. Girl, love of my life, right? right. And so this is how she feels. So what does she do? <clears throat> well, instead of like owning these and bringing those into the conversation and saying, when you say this, I feel alone. I feel disrespected, unwanted, right? What tends to happen is because we're feeling these ways, we want this person to feel those ways too. Right? And so instead of like owning these and bringing those into the conversation, we do what we call a power move. I think this might be in your book. Yeah, it is. I'm just not sure exactly where because I'm not, I'm not looking at the book at this moment. So what we do is a power move, right? And so we jump over all of these feelings that we're feeling, and we try to use our power to hurt this person and make them feel, how does he feel? Somebody read it out to me. I think it's basically the same, right? Unloved, disrespected. Yeah, failure. Unloved, disrespected, okay. And so here's, so, you know, and what does he do in response? Well, he attempts a power move back over her, okay? And a power move, I mean, that can look like a lot of different things. I've got some examples here. So a power move can be like becoming passive-aggressive, yelling, cussing, threats, bringing up the past. Uh, You always spend money this way. How many times have we talked about this? Um, Or, 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 you know, uh, now I I know why Bob broke up with you. (laughs) Right? Um, Now I know why Sally couldn't trust you. You bring up the past. 
And uh, the guy does the same thing. He's passive aggressive. He's yelling, cussing. He threat. He's threatening. He leaves. He walks out. That's a power move. Turn your back. Walk away. It's ultimate power move in conflict. Right. Um, we're going to talk about timeouts, which is different than turning your back and walking away. And so we feel hurt. And instead of communicating our hurt, we try to make the other person feel hurt to show them we hurt. Okay. How broken is that? Right, so broken. You know, to communicate how badly we hurt, we hurt somebody else. And we think, now you'll get it. Right. But that doesn't happen. We don't work like that. We're way too selfish. <laughs> we're way too simple. We're not glorious. Okay, we're not like God. And so that doesn't work. So any time in a relationship that you slip into a power move, you have dishonored your spouse or your partner you're still dating and anytime you slip into dishonor you're in you're in dangerous territory you're in dangerous territory i think in your book it says this once a couple resorts to power moves they have crossed the line of honor and nothing good or dishonored doesn't matter it's the same line because right but that makes sense yeah honor and dishonor They've crossed the line of honor, and nothing good can come from conflict until they deal with dishonor. So what should you do when fights get out of control and you've, you've, the power moves have begun on both sides and, you're, and you've slipped into dishonor? You're not honoring each other as a couple anymore. What should you do? Well, I think there's two basic rules. I'm going to give you some more rules at the end, um, but I think these are two really, really good rules. Okay. The first is anytime you cross the line of honor, you need a timeout. You need a timeout, and that's different than turning your back and walking away. A timeout is mutually agreed upon. Continuing to fight is not helpful once you've dishonored your spouse. Once that line's crossed, you've got to call timeout um, because you're probably going to continue to dig deeper. A timeout, a timeout prioritizes healthy resolution versus winning and losing. So what, what you do when you call a timeout is you're prioritizing the longevity and the health of the couple rather than winning your side. Okay. It doesn't mean you can't believe in your side, but you recognize more important than my side is us together. Okay. A timeout should always conclude with an apology for the dishonor and a reassurance of love and respect. That's not an apology for believing what you believe, maybe about spending, but an apology for the dishonor. Now I know why Bob broke up with you. Okay, timeouts allow motions to cool. They allow clarity to increase. But, but let me remind you about King in the myth of time. They should not be unending. Okay, every game has to finish. Right? So the timeout can't last forever. There's, there's a limited time in a timeout. Time doesn't fix everything. Okay, and the second principle is when you can't then come back together when cooler heads have prevailed and have a rational conversation about it that's honorable and respectful, then I think the second choice is to punt to an expert and um, you know if you disagree about money two of you should go sit with a you know like a financial planner maybe and talk about that Uh, if you disagree about church life or hobbies then you go and talk to an expert for instance when I was dealing with my selfishness from rock climbing I talked to Bill okay now, here's, here's the thing about your experts. 
Um, here's people who are off the list. Your parents. Your friends. Um, coworkers. That's pretty much it. Uh, I, think, I think the people you want to talk to are people, ideally the expert would be mutually agreed upon. I think sometimes when you discover it's like a personal problem, like what I realize is I'm selfish and this is causing this, this is not Lindsay's problem when it comes to my rock climbing, that I felt like I could talk to Bill as a spiritual counselor and that was okay. And, um, and I can, told her afterwards that I talked with Bill about this and he gave me good counsel. But um, the problem from talking to parents and friends uh, is that one, they have vested interests, they always think you're right. You know, like, like my baby, my kindergartner got a minus two on his first, his second assignment at kindergarten, he got a hundred on his first. And I, frankly, I was kind of pissed. <laughs> Not at him, at his teacher, he is perfect. You know, right, okay, so that's the thing about parents, right? They think that you're always right. And so when you begin to feed to your parents the flaws of your spouse, because always they're gonna be the one that's wrong, that creates difficult dynamics at Christmas. And when some other conflict comes up, you know what dad's going to say? Baby, why don't you just come here for a while? Just for a while. Like, red flag. So dad, dad, mom, those can't be your experts. And the same thing can happen with friends who begin to fuel this fire. I mean, probably a lot of us went through like a break in our relationship. And in that break, what we did was we kind of like vomited up to our friends everything we were angry about with our spouse. And then we figured out, I kind of miss them. Maybe some of that was my own stuff. And you try to get back together. And who makes it hard? Your friends, right? Because now you feel this guilt for reconciling with this person because you have projected that conflict onto these other people who love you more than they love her or him. And so that's why those people can't be your experts. But you need experts. That's, that's one of the reasons why you're part of a church, because at a church there are spiritually mature people who have lived a lot more life than you, and you can go to them. That's part of the reason you're at a group like this, and you have these mentor couples to surface people like that. Okay, let's talk about two conflict styles in our last 10 minutes. I've got 10 minutes, right? Yeah, great. All right. So the two classic styles, and this is, this is in your book, are freight trains and time bombs. And so Matt and Laura kind of share an example of this, that it sounds like Matt is a freight train and Laura is a time bomb. All right, okay. So we got freight trains and time bombs. So it's the same in our relationship. I'm the freight train. And so when we get into a conflict, I want reconciliation right then. The, tr the truth is, and Lindsay would own this too, more, I more quickly than she realizes my own like contribution to the conflict, and that and like I, that immediately rises up to me the moment I've said something I know I shouldn't have said. I immediately feel bad about it. I want to apologize right then, and I also want her to forgive me right then. And if she doesn't forgive me right then, then I start another conflict about why she's not forgiving me, right? Okay, and so that's that's my approach. Yeah, y'all are like, Ari, this dude's dysfunctional. And, uh, <laughs> So, um, so I'm a, freight, I'm a freight train, whereas she's a time bomb, okay? She, if, if we get into a conflict, she needs a couple minutes to go veg on her phone, to go to Starbucks, uh, to go for a walk, right? The kids being in the same room doesn't help her get over conflict. Like, she needs a 
some space, and then she'll be good. She'll be really good an hour or two later. So she's a time bomb. Now, the thing about time bombs is, and it seems like, well, that's, that's so much better, is that sometimes what they'll do is they'll kind of repress things over time instead of dealing with it right then like the freight train does. And so what happens when those things get repressed over a long time is it adds fuel to that bomb, and when it blows, it, it's big. So, um, you know, let's go back to laundry for a second. Um, you know, I asked Lindsay if I could share this story, and I shared this at our, our Wednesday night marriage group the other night in confession and repentance. Because, again, she had done laundry all day. And um, I, so I cycle now instead of rock climbing, because I can do that in an hour. I can do it before the kids wake up. It's a lot better for our life. I still get to get outside. I get rejuvenated by being outside and stuff. So it works better for us. And so you wear these, like, really silly spandex pants when you cycle. I've thought about preaching in them, but it's just a little too much. And... Um, <laughs> And so uh, they have this little pad in the bottom because you're sitting on a seat that's not very padded. And so you wash those, but you, you probably shouldn't dry them a lot because in the dryer that pad breaks down and then your pad, your, your bottom doesn't have the pad that it needs. And so um, she had washed, all, done laundry all day and had scooped up a, a pair of dirty um, cycling shorts in the wash. And so they got washed and, and they got dried. And so I came home and I just, I saw them there clean and fresh and smelling good, but dry. And so what did I do? I didn't say anything. I just picked them up and just kind of looked at them, just like, boom. <laughs> right? Okay. Why? Because clearly some things about laundry had been building up for her, right? As you can tell over time. Okay. So yeah, so she's, she's a time bomb. I, I should not have done that. I'm afraid train. Okay. And so, um, both personalities have their strengths and their weaknesses and in terms of conflict, but you need, to, you need to really know your spouse or future spouse's conflict style. And I think, I think one thing that's helpful when it comes to this, and this is hard to navigate, and I think even couples that have been together a long time continue to navigate this, that it is, um, I think sometimes you compromise on your style because you recognize that the other one needs um, validation, uh, reconciliation in that moment, whatever it is, whether it's later or sooner. So sometimes the freight trains need to chill out and be okay with the timeout. And I think sometimes the time bombs need to say, like, I recognize the turmoil this causes him if this goes on and try to move themselves more quickly to reconciliation. And I think there's this, this probably this tendency to, to think, like, this is the better solution, but not always. You know, like, think about, like, at night, you get in this fight, putting the kids down for bed. And, um, you know, one option, that, which the time bomb would prefer, would be to just go to bed and not talk to each other in bed and just go to sleep, right? But, you know, we're told not to let the sun set on our anger, right, which seems to be a biblical thing. I think that's maybe an example of a time where the time bomb needs to, like, get over it and be reconciled then. And so, but, you know, more often probably it's the freight trains that need to chill out and uh, let their, their spouse have some space. Okay. Um, let, me, let me run through a couple of just tips. These aren't in your books. These are personal from Eric. Here's my conflict tips, okay, which I borrowed from other lists and modified into my own. Okay. The first is to give your partner the benefit of the doubt. What we often assume in all of our conflicts with other people is that they have terrible intentions, and that, which means they're terrible people, but you love this person. 
Why would you assume that about this person? What if you just give them the benefit of the doubt? Two, stay calm. When the hurts begin to pile up, attempt to not respond with hurt or power moves or dishonor. Try to stay calm. Listen to understand, three. Not listen to prepare your next response. Listen to understand. This is one I can, I I know I borrowed because I wouldn't use this language, but I like it. Accentuate the positive. That helps you to to, um, not drift into dishonor if you can focus on the positive and what they're saying and who they are. Be clear. And the long version would be be clear in stating your side, but I think clarity here is important. Some people use the language for the next one of focus on the problem, not the person. The problem, not the person. That's really hard to do because in a close relationship, anytime a problem comes up, it, it tends to feel personal. But if you can at least like keep that principle in mind, it'll help. Focus on the future, not the past. And then there's only one more. Okay. And that's never threaten divorce. The D word's a bad word. I know that there are marriages that that end and need to end, and that's fine. I'm saying when it comes to conflict, do not use that threat. Or leaving, I'm going to leave. I have a close relationship with a guy who's not at Highland, but that I see regularly. I won't define him any more than that. But uh, his, his... his wife was continuing to say, use the D word all the time. And so finally he said, okay, pack your bags and go. And like, when you get, when you get to that point, marital conflict, you've lost. That's, you're not going to win at that point. So don't threaten with divorce. Okay. 648. Look at that. All right. That's why they pay me the big bucks right there. Okay.